I, I'm at a loss for words. This is um, among the most outrageous, if not the most outrageous, prosecutorial miscarriage of justice I've ever seen in 30 years of studying wrongful convictions. Um, we know to a scientific certainty uh, that Michael Alexander is factually innocent, 100%. He did not commit this crime. He falsely confessed. And we know to a certainty because of the DNA evidence that Armando Quadras committed the crime um, and other evidence that corroborates the DNA evidence. The prosecution simply can't admit their own incompetence and recklessness, and particularly the police, um, the police that investigated this case, their incompetence and recklessness um, in falsely accusing and falsely prosecuting Michael Alexander. That was Richard Leo, a professor at the University of San Francisco who was on the defense team for a young man who spent years in jail accused of murder even though another man's blood was all over the crime scene. I'm Damian Bulwa, managing editor of The Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, a true crime story unlike any you've heard before. In January 2013 in Yuba City, north of Sacramento, a 94-year-old woman was brutally killed in her home. Hours later, a man was found passed out on the street near her home, drunk and scratched up and bleeding. But police did not even try to connect him to the killing. Instead, they arrested the next-door neighbor of the victim, a young man named Michael Alexander. They got him to confess in an interrogation, and then they jailed him for more than three and a half years. They did finally free Alexander, and they made another arrest in the case thanks to a DNA hit. You guessed it, it was the man who was passed out a block from the murder scene. But as my guest Chronicle reporter Matthias Gaffney explains, there's even more to it than that. Matthias, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. All right, Matthias, thanks for joining me. You recently took a trip up to Sutter County and, and uh, near Yuba City where this all went down and spent a day at a murder trial. What happened? Yeah, so uh, we're now in the murder trial of Armando Quadras. And so he is the man whose blood was found all throughout Leola Shreve's house. And so I went up there for jury selection, and once they picked a jury, I was there for opening statements and saw the first couple witnesses uh, to this kind of the second chapter of this murder trial. Now, you you got into this case, Matthias, because of your interest in, in, in the man who was freed, Michael Alexander. He was accused of killing his next-door neighbor, Leola Shreves, and so you're still following this case to see the second suspect's trial, but but I know you were concerned about what would happen in this trial because we the police have never cleared Michael Alexander's name. So what happened in court? Yeah, I mean, I, I got on this story thinking it was going to be a DNA story about them finding, using new technology to find a new killer and thinking it would be an interesting exoneration story of Michael Alexander, who was um, first arrested for the crime. But once again, authorities have pointed the finger at Michael Alexander, the lead prosecutor, uh, Jana McClung, opened her opening statements to the jury and literally, Michael Alexander was the first thing she talked about. She said, this isn't a case of or, it's a case of and. And then she said that it was Michael Alexander and the defendant who killed Leola Shreves. 
Wow. And what was the reaction of, of Michael Alexander and his family and his defense team? They, as you write, have been dealing with this for years. They, they felt uh, some relief when, when police arrested the man whose blood was allegedly all over the scene. What was their reaction? Yeah, I mean, the, especially uh, the people kind of surrounding um, the Alexanders, um, their team, their lawyers, independent lawyers, they're all just aghast at uh, the fact that he's being brought back into this. Um, I, I spoke to the false confession expert who originally was hired by Michael's defense team, and he didn't have words for it. He said it was um, in all of his years of um, following false confessions um, and various trials, it was the biggest miscarriage of justice he's seen. Um, we know to a scientific certainty uh, that Michael Alexander is factually innocent, 100%. He did not commit this crime. He falsely confessed. And we know to a certainty because of the DNA evidence that Armando Quadras committed the crime um, and other evidence that corroborates the DNA evidence. The prosecution simply can't admit their own incompetence and recklessness, and particularly the police, um, the police that investigated this case, their incompetence and recklessness um, in falsely accusing and falsely prosecuting Michael Alexander. I think, I think the Sutter County prosecutor should be voted out of office. I think this is scandalous. The reason I think the Sutter County prosecutor should be voted out of office is because prosecutors are different than everybody else. They have uh, every other lawyer in the system. They have a duty to do justice. They are ministers of justice. They are not mere adversaries in our legal system seeking to win. And what they are doing here is perpetrating an injustice. Um, Michael Alexander is free. Anybody who studied the case knows he's innocent, um, even though this took three and a half years of his life when he was wrongly imprisoned pre-trial. But they are essentially handing the defense an acquittal. They, by blaming Michael Alexander, instead of admitting that they screwed up and their law enforcement screwed up, they are handing the prosecution an acquittal and Armando Quadras uh, will not be held accountable for this violence, the most serious crime anyone can commit in our society, a murder. He called for an independent review from the state attorney general's office. He called for voters to vote out the district attorney up there. He was just disgusted. And a legal expert brought up just how unseemly it was to kind of throw him under the bus again as part of their uh, their uh, prosecution of this new suspect. As for the Alexanders, um, as usual, they are a little more muted in their responses. They're very suspicious of authorities, but um, they basically said they weren't surprised. Here's Audra Alexander. I'm very worried for Michael now because nobody seems to want to admit that he wasn't involved. And it worries me that Jana is not worried about, you know, she's trying to get this buy one, get one free kind of thing, and she's risking the entire case instead of just admitting that she was wrong about Michael. I mean, all the, all Manny has to do is prove reasonable doubt. And by Jana agreeing with Manny, is that not going to create reasonable doubt? I mean, yes, there's DNA all over the place, and there's nothing that supports Michael doing it, but it, it seems to me like such an open and shut case. 
everything is pointing to Quadris and not Michael. And so why not take that open and shut case? Leave Michael out of it. He didn't have anything to do with it. And take your win. Michael wasn't involved. They need to admit that. And I don't know why they're so afraid to admit that. He had never had his name cleared. They refused to exonerate him, even after the DNA evidence, even after dismissing charges. He's now in this case with no one defending um, him as far as the murder goes. Both the prosecution and the defense are saying he did it. And is does, does Mr. Alexander himself have to testify? No, they held um, some evidentiary hearings before the trial started, and they brought him in. They subpoenaed him. And he got on the stand and his attorney, um, his same defense attorney who um, was uh, working with him years ago when he was first arrested, um, represented him again and told him to plead the fifth. And so the judge asked both both counsel, uh, you know, do we want to bring him back? He's just going to plead the fifth and, you know, exercise his right to uh, remain silent. And they both agreed he didn't have to come testify, but they're allowed to use all of the other evidence that was gathered when he was under arrest. All right. I want to come back a little later to this idea of how a trial now goes down where the man who was originally arrested and then a second man are now being talked about us having done it together. We could talk about how, how that's even going to work. But first, can we go back a little bit? Can you tell us a little bit about the killing of Leola Shreves, January 2013? What do we know about what originally happened? So her son-in-law checks on her. They hadn't heard from her in a while. And she's found face down in her bedroom. There's blood everywhere. There's a huge struggle. Um, there's the house is ransacked. Um, it's incredibly, you know, terrible crime. Um, she's tortured. Uh, bones broken throughout. Um, and so very quickly, they um, prosecutors don't have many leads, but they are taking photographs in the house and they hear a scream um, from next door. And that literally kind of is the first snowball that starts this avalanche at looking at uh, Michael Alexander. Uh, they go over and talk to him and they're suspicious of him. He has a bruise above his knee. He's shaking when they're talking to him. They go back to the police station. They look into his history in school. He's got a little bit of a troubled past in school. Um, he's. They look at his Facebook page where they find these, you know, um, uh, a meme that has like an anime meme that has um, a cartoon girl's face smashed into a wall. Um, and they look at that as suspicion under suspicion. And that literally is kind of how they got the search warrant to search his house. Um, they take him into the... Um, police station. He's 20 years old at the time. They take him to the police station and he begins talking to them. It's the confession. We went on our last story. We got deeply into it, but it's uh, experts bring up many issues with um, how they got the alleged confession. But one thing they did was enter in an alter ego. Uh, they called it Angry Mike and, you know, started saying, well, what does Angry Mike think about um, who killed her? And what does, does Angry Mike have any role in this? And um, they start playing to that. They also bring a lot of ruses where um, they basically lie about what evidence that they have, saying that they have blood matching him in the house. How did they get there? So eventually, after a few hours, um, they get a very kind of tortured confession out of him. And he's arrested, charged. He's they're going to initially go after the death penalty with him. But yet, as you said, there was there was physical evidence in the house. There was blood that belonged to the person they felt probably did it, right? 
Exactly. They uh, he tries to recant his initial confession and they at that time start getting back some of these DNA results from the blood in the house and it goes to someone else. And instead of, you know, saying maybe we have the wrong man here, they start the second confession saying like, OK, who do you do it with? And it just leads down another bunch of rabbit holes where um, uh, Michael Alexander is making up stories about who he's dealing with um, until he eventually at the end says, no, I didn't have anything to do with this. I'm totally innocent. Um, okay, but, but the the blood didn't match Alexander. We know that, right? Did the blood match anybody in in the database? It did not. So it was a big mystery at the time of who this blood matched to. It all we knew um, was that it didn't match Michael Alexander's, and we and we start to know more and more as tests come back. Footprints don't match him. Fingerprints don't match him. The DNA underneath Leola Shreve's um, fingernails don't match him, and yet he's still in prison as as they continue going through. Um, the pre-trial machinations and um, they just refuse to let them go. We need to take a quick break, but before we do, I want to remind our listeners to check out our six-part podcast mini-series called Chronicled Who is Kamala Harris? It's a deep dive into the life and the career of the Democratic VP candidate, and you can find it wherever you get fifth admission. We'll be right back. Thanks to my guest today, Matthias Gaffney. To read all of his coverage of the Leola Shreves murder case, go to sfchronicle.com. We're talking about his story about Michael Alexander, who was freed after three and a half years in jail, only to now have trouble escaping that case as the authorities try to continue to tie him to a brutal murder of his 94-year-old neighbor. So, Matthias, Ultimately, Michael Alexander is freed from jail. They do not take him for trial for murder. At that point, correct me if I'm wrong, there is still no match between the blood in Leola Shreve's house and any person out there that's in a in a government database. So at this point, they don't have a, a suspect in custody. What what happens next to move the case forward? Yeah, DNA technology has taken leaps and bounds. It, it improved significantly to where they were able to match the blood from Leo Lashree's house to a relative of Armando Quadris. Um, from there, they narrowed it down and eventually collected his DNA. And sure enough, it matched um, everything that was found in her house. So they interview him, Quadris now, and Quadris denies it at first, but eventually confesses to stomping on someone um, back in 2013. He said he was drunk, has vague memories, says it was a man. Um, but they also, as we said before, a key piece of evidence came back saying like, well, you guys picked me up one time back then in 2013 when I was drunk and passed out. And then the police realized that they had him right in their hands the night that they believed that Leola Shreves was killed, drunk 300 yards away from her house with, with bruised knuckles, cuts all over him. And uh, they basically never tied that together and looked at him right off the bat. Or, you know, we, Michael Alexander might never have gone through any of this. Well, almost certainly, right? Because they would have been able to to compare the the DNA evidence in the, in those first days. Exactly. I mean, it would have been somewhat. You'd think it would be almost an open and shut case where you have this drunk and bloodied guy so close to the crime scene on when they believe she was killed um, with his DNA linking to inside her house. I mean, I can't imagine that the the focus of the the investigation wouldn't immediately go to him had they put the, connected those dots early on. Okay, so back to the trial that that you are covering now in Sutter County. And make sure I'm 
uh, everyone's up to speed. Michael Alexander has been cleared of, of murder charges. Armando Quadras has been connected to the case via DNA, alleged DNA, and, and charged with murder and, and is on trial. And you're in court and they say, well, they did it together. And the defense agrees that Mike Alexander did it because that would mean that Armando Quadras didn't do it. So um, what is the defense theory for how Michael Alexander did it and Armando Quadras's blood is all over the house? Yeah, uh, I know this is, you know, it's just a gift handed to the defense to have Michael Alexander as, you know, the ultimate um, alibi for his client. And, you know, especially with the prosecution on board doubling down on it. They've basically said you're going to hear the tells the jury they're going to hear these confessions from Michael Alexander, where in his own words, he's going step by step how he he killed Leola Shreves and it's going to be obvious that he's the killer and my client's innocent. What he hasn't quite gotten to is, and he explains this to the jury is like, I admit my client's blood was all over that house. And he's saying, you're going to have a question of how did that blood get in the house? And he says, we're only in opening statements right now. I can't argue that right now, but that question will be answered later in the trial. So he's kind of saying, hold on, I'm going to answer that, that million dollar question later in the trial, but he's made it very clear that Michael Alexander will be the fall guy as part of his defense theory. And when you say gift uh, that some of the uh, experts and, and, and people involved in the case describing it that way, you're referring to the fact that the defense wants to, to, to tell the jury that someone else was there, that Quadras had some other role. And here the prosecutors are saying, indeed, Another person was in the house. Yeah, I spoke to legal experts and and other people who are very familiar with this case, and they think that this prosecution strategy of saying we were right all along, Michael Alexander has something to do with it, but he's not alone. Armando Quadras also assisted with the murder that is going to backfire, and it could potentially jeopardize this entire prosecution of Armando Quadras. Because basically, in itself, is leading to reasonable doubt. All the defense would have to do, a defense expert told me, is to somehow create enough doubt about how the DNA got into the house. Because the prosecution is giving them the fact that uh, Michael Alexander had something to do with this murder. So it's not too much farther for the defense to raise reasonable doubt about whether Armando Quadras had anything to do with it. And as far as the the police and prosecutors in this case, I mean, have have they... Have they said anything to you, to you outside court justifying this strategy? No, they basically the trial started. Um, they've uh, either not responded to me at all or said that they can't talk to me because the trial has started. A lot of stuff is still to come in the trial. Exactly how they're going to explain away how Quadris's DNA got all throughout the house. Um, you know, obviously that's a big mystery. It's just going to be it, in the trial. I just keep thinking of all this evidence that's very questionable that led to um, Michael Alexander's, um, you know, arrest and charges. I, I I think to like the the this internet meme of this anime girl with her face smashed into the wall where it says when a face palm is not enough, a face wall. It's like this stupid internet joke meme that anyone would understand is just, you know, nothing. But, you know, the defense has already told the jury that they're going to show how this is important and how, you know, Leola Shree's, uh, the, the forensics show that she was smashed her head into the ground and they're going to try to connect it. It just seems so far fetched, but there's going to be no one there to question that because the prosecution is not going to question it because they are not denying that Michael Alexander had anything to do with it. So it's like all this evidence 
that has such big red flags regarding Michael Alexander, it's going to go through on this trial without anyone raising any questions about it. Is it unusual in the criminal justice world for for this tack to be taken after someone is is released from jail after spending time in jail uh, on a murder charge? Is it unusual for for authorities to to stick with their story? No, that's the strange thing. Um, and I mean, this you, you, your common sense says like, okay, Michael Alexander charges were dismissed. They found a new person whose DNA matches. Um, the blood and all the other evidence that was found inside the crime scene. He's found super close to the crime scene the night of the murder, bloodied and battered. It seems like, you know, he's arrested, he's charged, and there's an apology given out to Michael Alexander for what they put him through, right? That seems like kind of the logical thing, I think, for anyone to think of. But when I talk to experts from false confessions and overturned cases, there's just this refusal to give up on it. And oftentimes they tell me that in a similar type of case, the police, when they find this new suspect who matches all the, the physical evidence and whatnot, that old suspect still is in their mind and they still try to link the new suspect to the old suspect. And they they almost try to you know force a square through a circle to try to get them connected in some way, because they still believe that that original suspect has something to do with it. And it's, it's you know, it gets into a psychological type of issues um, that the experts bring up. But yeah, they say it's, it's not uncommon at all for, for this to happen. But they do say that taking it to the next step of bringing it to trial and, and bringing them up as co-murderers is very unusual. Finally, I want to ask you about Michael Alexander. I know that you've spoken to him a number of times. Uh, what happened to his life after he was released from jail? What is he up to now? How is he doing? Yeah, he, he, he struggled since he's been out of jail. He's bounced around trying to find jobs. Uh, it's, it's been very difficult. Since our first story ran back in January, he really took a step forward in his life. He got certified. It got a license for uh, being an EMT. Things were kind of turning up for him as far as his job prospects. However, this case just still haunts him. Um, he was telling me when I spoke to him recently about how he had this plum job that he was applying for. He was literally sitting in a in an interview at a casino to become a security guard slash EMT. He's like, is perfect job for him. And then the interviewer asked him, have you ever been arrested for a felony? And once again, as in the past, he's honest and he says, yes, I have. And next thing he knows, they're literally Googling his name in the interview room. And that ends the interview, doesn't get the job, back to square one. So right now he's just at home and he's actually helping care for his um, elderly grandmother who's not in great health. And he's watching from afar as he's brought back into a courtroom for this case again. Wow. Well, it's an incredible story, Matthias. I'm glad you're sticking with it. And uh, thanks for joining me again. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle reporter Matthias Gaffney. To read his stories about the Leola Shreves murder case, go to sfchronicle.com. And I want to remind our listeners once again to check out our six-part podcast mini-series, Chronicled, Who is Kamala Harris? It's a deep dive into the career of the Democratic VP candidate, and you can get it wherever you find Fifth and Mission. Thanks also to our producer today, Taya Francesca Price, and thank you for listening. Listening.